Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable Podcast, a podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of the great men and women of faith. Drastically changed my life. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here is your host, Ryan Latham. Episode 50 is here. Can you believe it? 50 episodes into the Pastors Roundtable. I, I just I just can't believe it that uh, we are 50 episodes in. So exciting. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this. Today, I am really excited to share this conversation with Blaine Partell. He is a longtime youth pastor, lead pastor, uh, coach, mentor, author, speaker, so many things. He has been such an influence in the Christian church. Um, you know, for many years, I looked up to Blaine uh, for his youth ministry with over 3,000 students busing kids in from all over Tulsa area. Um, he talks about how he fell into sexual addiction and uh, how it took him out. He talks about his recovery and now how he's coming back. And so such an encouraging conversation. I know a lot of us during summer do a lot of reviewing, a lot of planning, a lot of uh, dreaming about what it could look like. And I want to encourage you to take a look at Church Fuel and some of their brand new resources. They've got annual reviews, quarterly reviews. They even have uh, planners for 2020, 2021 for youth pastors, kids pastors, family pastors, campus pastors, you name it, they got it. Uh, They also have some job descriptions. I know a lot of people are asking, well, where do we get a job description for our kids pastor or even right now an online pastor? Well, they've got samples for you. Check it out at renewedleadership.org slash fuel. That's renewedleadership.org slash fuel to get your discount today and start downloading resources. Check out this interview with Blaine. Well, hey guys, I got my friend Blaine here, who is a longtime pastor, uh, someone who has influenced my life for a long time. Uh, when I was just getting started in ministry, uh, he was the man. I mean, just the man. And, um, you know, just just the ministry was talked about, the books, the show, everything was um, so influential in me for me as a young uh, minister coming up in youth ministry, trying to figure out what does it look like. Um, I looked a lot to uh, 180 and what you guys were doing there. So Blaine, thanks for jumping on to the podcast here for the, the, the young bucks, the couple of, of people that don't know who you are in uh, 180 and the, you know, over 3000 students and the, the uh, little black book series and the TV show, all kind of stuff. Why don't you just tell us a little bit of your journey, uh, and then we'll jump into the, the book that you've come out with uh, following from there. But just introduce yourself a little bit for us. Sure. Good to see you, Ryan. Good to be with you guys. Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in Canada. I'm a Canadian. I uh, was invited to move uh, to the States uh, through a, uh, a mentor, uh, my pastor uh, of many, many years, uh, Willie George, at uh, Church on the Move in Tulsa. So I, you know, when I got saved, Ryan, I had this, this dream uh, that eventually kind of bubbled up in my, my heart in uh, prayer and just 
the, the, the love that I had for media, I wanted to produce a television show and I wanted to do it for young people. And so uh, we were uh, blessed to all of a sudden have all of this uh, TV equipment at Willie George Ministries. He, Willie was doing this thing called the Gospel Bill Show for kids. So we decided let's spin off a program for teenagers. We called it Fire by Night. And to my amazement, I'm sure everyone else's shock, it actually worked. And it was basically, Ryan, like a Saturday Night Live for, for the church, for church kids. And uh, it, it came off pretty great, man. Uh, we had within about three or four years, uh, 5,000 uh, churches that were taking the video every month and showing it to their youth groups. And so hundreds of thousands of kids were seeing it by video. And then of course, all the Christian networks came along and they began to air it Friday nights. And, and before I knew it, I was like uh, kind of a household name in the, in the teenage community of the church and uh, being invited to speak and do, you know, crusades and mission trips and events. And, and so, I mean, I just fell into this and uh, somehow became somewhat of a decent speaker <laughs> and a writer and uh and everything was history from there and we did the show for about 10 years and then we started this this youth program called 180 which was not media but it was live and that took off too uh you know it went from a few hundred kids meeting in a in a, a really cool kind of youth sanctuary to like you know maybe six seven years later we had built it $10 million facility, and we had 3,000 kids a night coming, and, and uh, 50 buses uh, bringing kids from all over, you know, the planet, and uh, kids getting saved every week, and so that, that just, uh, it was just an amazing ride, it, and it basically it was, that took me from my 20s all the way to my 40s, and uh, of course, you talked about the books, you know, we began writing books, but uh during this whole season uh, of, you know, this, all the success and celebrity, uh, there was something going on kind of beneath the surface of my life that nobody knew about, literally, except for me. And eventually, uh, it broke me. Yeah, and you wrote a book uh, recently that's come out. And, uh, when I saw you speaking here in Oklahoma to a group of youth pastors about the book and your journey, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, you were, like you said, you know, uh, well known. And so I, I had heard about, uh, your story, your journey. Um, and so it was great for me to hear your side of the story and kind of the whole picture of it. And uh, when I heard the story, I said, man, I got, I just got to get this out to as many people as possible because your journey, um, not, not just the youth ministry side, obviously tons of practical stuff, tons of stuff that we could learn from there, obviously. Um, but your journey um, in the last few years um, is something that currently is so prevalent in our society right now. And, and, uh, and when you look at the stats, I'm sure, Blaine, you know even more than I do, but the stats of during this COVID season that the percentage of people that are um, looking at pornography and struggling with sex addiction are just increasing rapidly during this season. 
Um, and so um, I, I'm going I'm to kind of sit back, but I want you to just tell us the story. Tell us about your journey. Um, you know, the book, you know, you, 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 you say that it's a death by what 10,000 lies. Um, and you talk about the fall um, and the crash. But uh, what we're going to end on was so good. And this is what I love about um, your story is the resurrection, the rebirth, that um, it's not just all doom and gloom and there's no hope, but that there is hope. And uh, so well, I, want, I, want, I just want to turn it over to you. The table is yours. Man, jump in, tell us your story. I, I just can't wait to hear it again. Cool. Well, you know, the last part of uh, my quote success journey was my church sent me to Dallas my family, three kids, uh, all in their 20s by now, my wife, Kathy, to plant a church. And so we get there in like 2006, 2010, we now have uh, uh, 800 people in the church. We've just built a, a $5 million building in Frisco, Texas, which is the fastest growing city in America at the time. And north suburb of Dallas. And so 10 years ago in 2010, Easter, uh, I, get, uh, I, I get rocked, my world gets rocked because for the first time, uh, my secrets are exposed. And I lay bare everything that has gone on in my life for 23 years. And the discovery and the disclosure of pornography uh, reaching outside of my marriage with escorts, massage parlors. I mean, you just, you name it. And it had been a part of my life on some level. And where it started, Ryan, was just crazy. Because 23 years before that, it would have been 1986 or 87, I was, uh, I was traveling and speaking and I'd, I'd been on this, you know, this traveling thing for about two, three years. And uh, the success of our TV show was just ramping up. And I just got so, so busy and so, so overwhelmed with all of this success and all of, all of these opportunities that I, as a young minister, I just failed to take care of my soul. I mean, I'm just going to own that. I, I just did not take care of my own soul and, and my relationship with my wife, my family. Uh, I was gone all the time. When I did get home, I was working to produce another show. And so exhaustion set in, I think on some level entitlement, like I'm just working so hard, doing so much, I deserve a break. And there was no Sabbath in my life. I mean, I'm preaching every like time the church doors are open, Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning. So I remember sitting in a hotel room, uh, one of these Sunday nights, completely exhausted from the weekend, and I'm doing what I always did. I would turn on the TV and I would get my remote and I would start flipping channels. And I would flip from news to sports to a movie to whatever, just, you know, avoiding commercials, basically. This is before internet. This is, you know, before pay-per-view, except for one thing. There was a white box on top of the television, and it had a uh, pay-per-view adult 
movie box, right? And so I'd never looked at porn in my life, Ryan. Uh, my dad never had it. I never found it anywhere. It had never been a part of my life. I'm 26 years old. Wow. And on this night, for some reason, my, my curiosity, my uh, defenses just laid waste. I was just like, I need a break. I need an escape. I, I was just worn out. And so I, I remember walking over to the TV, hitting the red button on that box, and all of a sudden on comes all of this, you know, this, this montage of uh, illicit uh, pornography. And uh, I sit there and watch it. And I take it all in. And I guess maybe after 10 or 15 minutes, I finally turned it off. Uh, I'd got my thrills. And in that moment, I just felt these competing uh, feelings of complete guilt and shame, knowing it was so wrong and knowing that I somehow had made one of the worst decisions of my life, but yet also feeling this exhilaration of, wow, I've never experienced that before in my life. And so it was in that moment that I made the worst decision that I've ever made. And it wasn't hitting the red button. Mm. I went down to the front desk. I caught the attention of the clerk and I, made arrangements to pay for that movie. And the reason that I paid for the movie was because I was a guest of a church and they were paying for my hotel room. And I knew that they could not see the movie that I'd rented. And so I made sure it was taken off the bill and paid for. And that was the beginning, Ryan, of what would become 23 years of cover-up. And I never planned to cover anything up for 23 years. In fact, to be honest, when I got back to my room, uh, I was so shaken by my decision that I literally began to kneel by my bedside and ask God to forgive me right there and repent and pray with tears and, and, and ask God to take this away from me and, and promised him that I'd never do it again. And I woke up early the next morning and I got my Bible out and I read my Bible and I remember reading and praying Psalm 51, you know, that prayer of repentance that David prayed after he'd had this affair with Bathsheba and uh, sent her husband to death. And I was sincere, but my friend, I, I did it again, not in a week, not even in a month, but six months later, I found myself in the same situation with my soul in epidemic exhaustion again, and I gave in again. And so my giving in periods became shorter and shorter. Mm. There was almost always repentance, always shame, always guilt, always tears. But the giving in periods turned from six months to three months to one month to a few weeks until finally, after many years, it literally just became an obsessive addiction in my life. And here's what I discovered. Um, there is this, this thing called addiction in the world of psychology that 
is actually scripturally uh, called slavery by Paul or enslavement to sin. Jesus called it captivity. He said, I've come to set the captives free. Paul talked about strongholds in our life. And so what I discovered is something can become a choice and then move to a habit and then move to an obsession and then move to a complete captivity or addiction over time. Wow. And when you give into something again and again and again and again, and especially when it has a pleasure reward or a pleasure outcome in the area of the flesh, uh, that you literally can get to a place where even though you know what you're doing is going to destroy you, you keep returning to it because of that stronghold and that captivity and that addiction. And so my friend, I tried everything to get free. I mean, I, I, I read books. I, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I listened to preaching. I uh, read articles. I, I did everything I knew to get free alone and by myself. And I just kept returning. Every time there was a major anniversary of some kind, like my birthday or the next new year, or maybe we'd move, like moving from Tulsa to Dallas to start that church. I would, okay, this is the time that I'm finally going to quit. I'm finally going to put it in the past and, 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 and put it in my rearview mirror. And there would be short, you know, periods of sobriety and freedom, but it really wasn't freedom. What it was was com complete white knuckling. And the white knuckling would only last so long where the grip would lose its hold. And all of a sudden, there I am again. And every time I would return to it, Ryan, it would get worse. And, and the, the, the trail would be darker and the descent would be deeper. And I'd move into areas that I'd never moved into before. So it went from porn to, you know, eventually chat lines. And then when the internet came on, there was all this internet, you know, availability. And, and, and like I said, uh, you know, you know, later in, in years, massage parlors and reaching out uh, to escorts. And I never really had what someone would call an affair. An affair to me was like wanting to have a relationship with another woman other than your wife. And I never wanted that. I mean, I was never interested in leaving my wife. I was never interested in having another romantic life or affair. I just, I never wanted that. All I was, what porn set me up for was just encounters because porn is just, you know, a few minutes in, you gratify yourself and then you leave. And that's, I had trained my brain to engage in that, to want that, to be satisfied with that. And so it was really never about uh, an affair. It was always about gratifying myself and you, you show up and you leave, you show up and you leave. And uh, thank God, Brian, that Easter uh, week, 2010, that I experienced what I call the terrifying grace of God, where after he gave me literally hundreds and hundreds of opportunities to confess, hundreds of opportunities for 23 years to just come clean with somebody and uh, find a loving advocate that would help me uh, get free of this and, and find hope. After not taking those opportunities, at some point, God 
intervened and and he exposed it and disclosed it uh you know for uh for the world to see and uh when that happened uh it literally uh broke me it broke my family it broke my church uh i literally lost everything w within 48 hours i lost everything i lost uh uh my marriage relationship with my children uh my church and within one year I had lost everything financially complete financial devastation and uh was out of the ministry with no plans ever to return uh for years literally years uh was just like i was living in a brand new world of uh you know like how do I get a job? You know, I've worked in the church for 30 years and all I know to do is preach. And there weren't many, very many people uh, hiring people to preach uh, at Walmart or Target or uh, on monster.com. So it was a crazy, crazy period of time in my life. So the whole time you're leading your speaking, your teaching, your um, counseling, your, um, you know, for a lot of ways, you're, you're like the face of youth ministry for many, many of those years, right? And then you're sent in to uh, start a church, you're excited, and then boom, this, this downturn. And so um, there you are, you've, you've lost everything. So um, what, what happens next? Because um, I know you you fought really hard to get back in it. So what was what was that next step for you? Well, uh, I think the first step for me, Ryan, was just com coming completely clean. Uh, no one can no one can understand unless you've been there. But when you have literally hidden these secrets and told these lies, like you said, the, the name of the book is Death by a Thousand Lies. When you've told thousands and thousands and thousands of lies, because I would have to lie every day about who I really was. I mean, I'm presenting, you know, I'm putting on an image of who I am. And so the first thing was just coming completely clean and telling all of the truth. And I find so many guys, you know, they have truth. And for me, I had to tell everything. And so I just laid it all out to my best friend, to Ron Luce, who was uh, the president at that time of Team Mania Ministries, and told him everything. Ron walked me through disclosure uh, with my, my, my trustees, my elders in my church. And then, of course, with my, before that, actually, with my family, my wife and my children, my parents. And uh, there was something powerful about just being known for the first time for who I really was. Even though it was ugly, it was hypocritical, it was, uh, you know, everyone discovering the worst about me. There was something so liberating about finally being able to say, for better or worse, this is me. And that was really the only way out. Uh, you know, I never understood James when he talks about in the epistle, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. 
what I began to understand in the, in the year to come was that when we confess our sins to God, yes, there is forgiveness from God, but it's in confession to our brother, to our sister, to those that know us and love us and that we can trust our lives with, that healing actually comes in our soul. So God wants to forgive us of the sin, but he wants to heal us of the impact of the sin through confession and prayer. And so as I just began to be truthful about my addiction, my brokenness, my lies, uh, God graciously brought men into my life that began to walk me through a process of redemption and resurrection and coming to coming to grips with uh, what freedom could possibly look like for me. So I would say the first 12 months was almost primarily uh, addiction recovery. And so I went to rehab uh, in Phoenix for about 30 days. Yeah, I want you to repeat that. You said 12 months. Okay? Yeah. Because I think oftentimes People feel like it's just like, well, I, I confessed, so let's move on. Or I repented, let's move on. Or, hey, I went to a counseling session, let's move on. But 12 months, so uh, so important. I think that what you, you've, you've said is, you know, that these, these uh, addictions drive so deep that we can't just in one, one session. Now, outside of just absolute miracle of God, um, but even then there's still follow-up. And so I'd love for you just to keep unpacking what does 12 months look like? Well, yeah, you know, the things that we find ourselves uh, enslaved to, whether it's pornography or food or gambling or drugs or approval or whatever it is that we're just a slave to, we don't get there overnight. And uh, it comes from impulses, honestly, in our soul that sometimes go all the way back to our childhood. So there's healing that needs to happen. There's uh, habits that have turned into strongholds that need to be broken. And so if I've been in this for 23 years, to think that I'm going to escape it in a month is crazy, right? But God is so gracious and God is so powerful and his word is so powerful that it doesn't take 23 years to get free either, which is amazing. Yeah, It, it did take... Uh, 12 full months of getting completely out of the ministry. In fact, I was out of the ministry for, for three years, but, but the first 12 months, uh, 30 days of rehab, $30,000 invested in rehab, got back from that. The next 11 months after the rehab, uh, seeing my counselor in Dallas every week for two hours, going to four uh, men's groups a week, which were each two hours, uh, reading books, listening to podcasts, going through training, walking through workbooks, keeping accountability uh, partners, having men speak into my life every week. It was literally nonstop cultivating and working on developing a brand new soul and, and planting the seeds in my life for what would be eventually uh, resurrection but it was dying to my past, dying to my trauma, dying to my ego, dying to my pride, dying to my selfishness, just encountering all the death and crucifixion of the old Blaine Bartell so that a new Blaine could emerge. And bro, it was hard work. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, um, so Blaine, you say it in the book and you told us when you were telling the story is that 
talk to us about <laughs> how you went to this addiction program that that's what they do help people with addiction and what do they say about you this this, this was uh what i knew man this is this is a guy that's working hard yeah so i get there and i meet with the the founder of the addiction center, Dr. Ralph Earl, he's 73 years old at the time. And he says, tell me your story. So I, I walk him through my, my story and he said, Blaine, number one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to say this nicely, but number one, he said, you have been an a-hole <laughs> to your wife, to your family. <laughs> and I, and I, I honestly, I thought that I, need, I needed to hear that because that's exactly what I've been. But then he said this, he said, and you are the poster child for sexual addiction. He said, I've never heard a story like yours. And then he said, I doubt that you'll ever get free. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean I'll never get free? I'm paying you $30,000 out of my money, not my church money, my money to get free in the next 30 days. And he said, well, Blaine, we will give you the tools, but I don't know that you have any idea the amount of work and determination it's going to take. And bro, when I walked out of that center 30 days later and got on the airplane to go home to Dallas, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Because I got on that airplane and I looked down the aisle and I saw a stewardess or a flight attendant, a female, that was dressed very, very provocatively, very tight clothing. And lust began to come up in my soul just like it had before. And I'm thinking, I'm no closer to freedom than the day I got here. What is going on? And what I had to begin to realize was I got tools. You know, they figured out a lot of stuff about me. Uh, I figured out a lot of stuff about myself. But I, I was just beginning the work in my soul of freedom. And so I just said, okay, I'm going home. I'm, I'm digging in. Because somehow I believe that I can be free from this. I believe that I can live a life where I do not return to this world anymore. And I'll tell you, Ryan, I coach men every week. I, I have about four to five men that I coach per week, usually one per day. And I spend a couple hours a day with them online and uh, walk them through uh, literally eight months of freedom. But the first thing that every guy I coach tells me that has been in the world of porn or affairs or sexual vice is this. They said, Blaine, I've tried this dozens and dozens of times and I've never been able to get free. Isn't it impossible? And that's how I felt. But I'll tell you what, my friend, uh, a year and about three months later, I found complete and total freedom. It didn't come overnight. I had a few slip-ups along the way. The slip-ups were, you know, were, were smaller and they were mainly in the area of, of, of porn. But about a year and three months later, God, by his grace, his word, and his beautiful community that had surrounded me brought complete and total freedom in my life. And I'm in my ninth year today of complete freedom without any slip-ups, without any relapse, living into this beautiful life uh, because of the grace of God. But it, it, is, it is giving your life all out to encountering the power of freedom uh, through the gospel. All right. So there's many people I'm sure um, that are listening right now and they feel a tug on their heart. 
because they know um, that there's areas of their life that um, maybe they've got some addiction. And I, and I love how you say that it's not just kind of the, the big ones that we talk about, um, you know, pornography, but that there's even more to it, um, you know, eating or, you know, seeking approval, all these kinds of things. And so for the person that's listening, it just feels that tug on their heart. What encouragement, what would you say for them um, right now, this moment? Yeah, for sure. Listen, if, if you're struggling, first of all, <laughs> you're not alone, my friend. There are so many people that I encounter because of the, the openness of my story today. So many people that are coming saying, man, thank you for being honest. I thought I was the only one that had this struggle. So you're never alone. In fact, uh, in the, in just in the world of porn, 65% uh, of pastors admit to struggling on a regular basis with pornography. So you're far from being alone. I would encourage you to find somebody you trust, reach out and tell them. The first step to freedom is getting honest and having somebody advocate for, advocate for you. Now they may not have you all the answers, they may not be able to uh, give you all the steps, but just to find somebody. And that's what I did with Ron. You know, I just said, Ron, this is what's going on. Well, he didn't know what to do. He'd never helped anyone through this, uh, but he knew where to send me and he knew how to get me the help that I needed. And he walked with me through it and he'd call me every week and, and we just kept this relationship that to this very day, we still uh, talk literally every single month, but we need an advocate. We need somebody that we trust that will believe in us, support us and help us to find the help and then keep us accountable along the way. And then once you do that, you do need to, to find help. And you do need, you do need to come uh, alongside somebody that is an absolute pro at knowing how to get you out, that knows how to break the bondage, how to break the systems, how to renew your mind, how to rewire your mind, how to change your heart's longings, because it's not just about saying no to something. It's about how do you find the yes in your soul? How do you find a new treasure to go after? How do you find something different to give your heart to and your life to. And so it's understanding how to walk through all of that and then how to get into a, a group of advocates where uh, you feel the strength of these other guys or if you're a woman, these other women that are sisters with you and saying, hey, we are gonna do this together. So it, it just begins with uh, confession. And uh, if you don't know anybody that you can trust with anything, with everything, my friend, I've been there and I can just tell you this, reach out to me because I, I have nothing in the game with you. Every guy that has ever reached out to me over the last uh, three years since I've been doing my coaching, they know this, uh, everything they share with me is a vault. It goes nowhere. I don't tell anybody. I don't tell you to tell anybody unless you want to, all right? So reach out to me. If nothing else, I will be able to help to guide you to the next step. And if nothing else, you'll have somebody that is a brother that will enter into confession with you and say, listen, here is a game plan. Here is a pathway for you to break free. And all of my initial consulting sessions are free. 
So I'll meet with you, I'll get on the phone or we'll do a Zoom meeting and that first meeting is completely free. And if you don't wanna continue in the coaching with me, I'll send you on your way to find uh, help somewhere else, but you're not alone. So don't keep this secret by yourself. Uh, so good. So, but what about that person just says, man, I, I got myself into this. I'm going to get myself out of this. You know what? There's so many people that just feel like I, I can do this on my own. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is, is don't, don't do this on your own. Yeah. We're, we are never meant to be an island, Ryan, and we are never meant to conquer our sin alone. Uh, we, we were meant to do it in uh, brotherhood and in, in sisterhood. This is, this is how God set it up. We were meant to live in community. This is why we have marriage. Uh, this, this, is, this is how we, how we thrive is, is, is in community. Yeah, that's why, you know, the first thing God said when he looked at man was it's not good for this guy to be alone. So don't stay in the fight alone. It never works. I tried by myself to conquer this sin again and again. I tried in the first year, in the third year, in the fifth year, in the 10th year, in the 15th year, in the 23rd year. And I didn't get free until I finally was put in a place where I didn't have to do it alone. We need the help, the cheers, the encouragement, the secrets, the systems that others are going to bring into our life. And when we discover those things, man, the path gets clear and the path gets really, really easy. Now, you said, was it 60 some percent, 63, 64% of pastors? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was you that said that, um, that when you talk to hotels, that when there's pastors conferences, the number of uh, watch of pornography goes up. Is that, is that, was that, is that you that said that? Yeah. Well, and that, that goes back to pre-internet because everyone's got, you know, phones and computers now, but back when uh, all there was in terms of porn options on the road was a, uh, was a TV with uh, adult movies. Yeah. There were, uh, there were conventions that were done and, these conventions major like Hilton was one of the chains that reported this, but that their highest sales for uh, the adult movie fair was always when they'd have the Christian conventions. And the reason was really pretty simple. It wasn't that Christians were necessarily the worst people in the world. I don't believe that for a moment. Uh, I believe the reason was, was uh, the world is just kind of, you know, they've kind of accepted porn. The world has kind of accepted, you know, uh, lust. And I mean, you hear it talked about all the time, but this was such a secret to all of these Christian leaders that this was kind of one of their only times that they could avail themselves to this, this outlet is when they'd get out of town and be away, they'd be alone in a hotel room. And so it, it is just such a hidden dragon in the lives of uh, so many Christian leaders. And it just brings so much shame, so much pain. And let me tell you what it does to marriages. This is what people don't realize. It's not just that porn is wrong or that it is sin. It's not just like, 
a guilt and innocence issue. It's an unhealthy issue mm -hmm. because when we engage in pornography, we're entering into a fantasy world that is no match uh, for marriage. I mean, you, you can do things in the porn world that you're never going to do in your marriage because the porn world isn't real. Yep. It's a crazy world. You know, there's, you know, whatever you want in the porn world. It's just the craziest world you've ever gone into. And so to, to try to come out of that porn world into a marriage and think that that marriage sexually is ever going to satisfy you now when you've been in this porn world, it's just, it becomes a disaster. And so what happens is, and this happened to me, is you get in the world of porn and fantasy and you just want to stay in that world. And so you stop wanting to live in the world of real intimacy and real sexuality and real love uh, with, with your spouse. And so what happens? She begins to feel this sense of rejection. Well, how come you don't want to be with me that much? Well, she doesn't know you've satisfied that intimacy or that sexuality in some other way. And so now you've got this tearing apart or this breaking apart in the marriage, this lack of intimacy, this oneness begins to leave. And pretty soon, uh, in fact, according to uh, the, uh, one of the divorce uh, associations in America, they reported that porn is now the number one contributing factor to divorce. It wow. just separates husband and wife. And the cool thing is this, Ryan that when we exit the fantasy world in the porn world and we learn how to re-engage in true physical intimacy with the person that we have committed our life to and that we truly know how to, how to love, uh, that sexuality is actually more powerful, more potent, and even better. But we've got to be delivered from this other world before we'll ever experience uh, what, what real sexuality can be. Wow. That's great. That's a really encouraging because I think um, some people think the opposite of that, right? That I could never get this back outside of the fantasy world. Right. So um, what about, uh, I know there's kind of like some uh, filters, there's, internet, you know, um, software, things like that, that you can download. What are some of those that you've found to be useful and helpful to the people that you're helping with? Yeah. So first of all, uh, do whatever you have to do. If you're struggling, I mean, the first uh, six months after my disclosure, I got rid of my computer and I got rid of my uh, smartphone. All I had was a little Nokia flip phone. The only thing I could do was talk. And you know, Jesus said, if your arm offends, you cut it off. There's sometimes if you have an offensive part of your life that just continues to bring you down, you just have to cut it off. So you have to get rid of it. Do whatever you have to do, guys. Uh, get rid of whatever you have to get rid of. When I did get my computer back and I felt like, okay, I, I think I can safely reenter the world of technology and my smartphone, uh, I put filters on and uh, I use Covenant Eyes. So CovenantEyes.com, uh, it's the most prominent uh, filter and accountability software for phones and for uh, laptops and computers. And all it will do is it will simply send a report once a week to your accountability partner. So the man that you advocate with might be your best friend, it might be your pastor, it could be your father, it could be uh, your brother, 
whoever you trust and advocate with. And they'll get a report of anything that maybe is a red flag that week. And uh, they'll know what it is and they'll be, able to, uh, they'll be able to meet with you about it. So it's not so they can shame you and it's not so they can you know, just say, well, you did wrong. It's just simply to uh, give you an opportunity to be honest about maybe a place that you went this week and maybe figure out why and how you got there. And the advocate doesn't have to have all the answers. They're just there to advocate for you and to say, okay, maybe you need to move back into some counseling or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, why don't, you, why don't we read this book together and kind of walk through this. So it's just a way for me that when I began to get back online, Ryan, uh, I, I had my brother, Michael, who was my advocate. I knew that he was going to get that report every week. And so it almost felt like he was looking over my shoulder every time I got on my computer. And man, it just stopped me from going places. So what it did, it, it developed good habits in my life. And pretty soon these habits became reflexive and I just stopped, you know, wanting to go to porn. Yeah. And I just started to use my computer and uh, technology for, for good, you know, for writing and for research and uh, for, you know, the things, you know, email and the things that we use uh, computers for on a good level. Yeah, I know a couple of things that, you know, we've done for us because we've, I, you know, we've got four kids and man, just the technology is so tough. You know, um, they've got their phones, they've got their smart TVs, they've got all this stuff. And so I know a couple of things for us that we've done. Um, yeah, you know, Covenant Eyes and um, you can, you know, for us, it even blocks, you know, they can't even get into certain things, which of course they, they, yell at us all the time <laughs> because it's blocking the I can't even get into it it's like yeah it's a gaming website and so it you know whatever it flags up but uh you know we have to we, it's inconvenient right it's inconvenient for them it's inconvenient for us because we have to like look at it and un you know unflag it or whatever and so yeah there's a little bit of inconvenience there um but yeah it, it takes a lot of work especially with like you said um you, you used to have to go to, I remember when I was, you know, young and teenager, right? You know, you had to go to the gas station and go to the adult section, or, you know, you had to go to the movie store and walk into a, you know, separate closed off adult movie section, or you, you had to really publicly put yourself out there much more than now. It's just, I mean, you can't get away with it. You know, you, you just can't get around it. It's so much harder now. And so, um, it's coming at you much more aggressively um, than than ever before. And so with that, what are some things that maybe um, youth pastors um, or even lead pastors can do to help lead their people? Well, I, you know, what you said is so true. And uh, the, the, the greatest problem uh, with pornography today is the fact that the average uh, boy looks at porn for the first time when they're 11 years old. So it's getting younger and younger and younger. In my day, I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s as a teenager. It was like, you know, 17 or 18. It's down to 11. And obviously we know why. The access is so crazy. I mean, think about if you took, to your, you took your, your, your child or your teenager to a bookstore and let them go to the kids section of the bookstore and there were illicit 
hardcore pornography magazines right next to a Dr. Seuss book. You would be flabbergasted. You would complain. You would grab your child and take them out of that store and never go back again. Well, that's what happens when our kids are given a smartphone or a computer with internet access unsupervised and unmonitored. We're basically taking them into a room and saying, look at everything you want to look at. And that's, you know, that's, I think that is the most important thing right now with our kids and with our young people is, is being wise enough to not put this kind of opportunity in their hands, to have good filters that just block them from going places that are going to be destructive in their soul. And someone says, well, you know, there's other places that they can find it. Well, there were other places I could find porn growing up too, you know. It wasn't in the library and it wasn't in, you know, the, the convenience store. Yeah, if I really wanted to, I could find it somewhere, but I didn't because it was a little bit more difficult. And so we need to make it as difficult as possible for our kids to access. And then I think, you know, a, a big part of it is, is really training this next generation to, to really understand uh, the beauty that God has placed in the opposite sex. That when I say that, that they're image bearers, that they have the divine, divine spark of God in them, that they're not targets, they're not uh, objects of our lust, they're not, you know, just something that, that we want to use or experience that these are real people and they deserve our, our respect and they're to be treated with dignity and helping our young people to understand what real love is and what real dignity is and what a, a beautiful marriage and a beautiful relationship can actually look like. And then helping them to kind of get out of this, you know, a little bit, uh, I'm not against dating, I'm, I'm okay with that. And I think our young people need to learn how to date, but uh, dating can go so far with our, our young people and, and, uh, and, and with our, our teenagers, that it almost becomes like they don't feel like they're really, uh, that they have approval, or that they're really anyone until they have a date on their, their arm, you know, unless they have a date every week or they're always going out with somebody. And so we, we have to pull back a little bit from that and help them to understand that that dating isn't just to date. The reason that we court and the reason that we eventually begin to engage in this courtship process is because we're preparing ourselves to move into the relationship of marriage. That it's not just we're going out with somebody because it's cool or we're going out with somebody because we want to figure out what it's like to have a physical romantic relationship because we're just setting up our kids for failure. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, super helpful. Um, now I know there's a lot of churches that have, um, groups like celebrate recovery, um, and things like that. What are some of the maybe smaller groups or materials that you would suggest that maybe churches can look into to supply for their, their people? Yeah, there's lots of stuff. I for sure celebrate recovery, Ryan. Uh, I went to celebrate recovery for a year and a half in Dallas, loved it, changed my life. So helpful. Uh, when every week they do uh, 
they do small group programming, which is, which is great. Uh, obviously, most, most pastors have heard of the books, uh, Every Man's Battle, Every Young Man's Battle. There's workbooks that go with that. There's also uh, small groups online that are available uh, with the Every Man's Battle ministry, so you can Google that. Um, uh, and, and then there's a, there's a brand new, not brand new, but fairly new uh, video uh, program called the Conquer Series that I highly recommend. Lots of churches I know use it, but it's a, it's a video series that you can show to your small group in your church so you can collect a, a, a group of men and, uh, and walk through that series and uh, have a workbook that you go through. So anything like that, uh, my biggest thing would be, uh, you know, don't just, don't just read a book. Don't just kind of do one counseling session. Uh, if you can find uh, some group work to do where you do an eight-week program, uh, boy, it makes all the difference. Something like Celebrate Recovery where it's an extended uh, time period of engagement and growing and learning. I know one of the things that I do uh, pre-COVID, <laughs> I haven't been able to travel for three months because of all the churches being shut down, but we'll, we'll re-engage in this in the fall, but I'll go to a church and I'll do a men's gathering and then uh, help that church uh, at the end of that men's gathering as I share my story and talk about how to be free from porn. Uh, I'll help that church put an eight-week uh, small group together or small groups together uh, to follow that. So we'll actually provide curriculum and programming to help a pastor uh, lead that or have one of his uh, one of his men lead that. So I just believe uh, that the more we can do to get guys into a group setting where we're doing life together with other brothers and other men and we experience that brotherhood, we experience that vulnerability, we experience that honesty and praying and, and, and standing beside each other, that that changes everything. I know for me, that was probably the most important thing I did in that first year of uh, discovering real freedom. So good. Blaine, such a tough topic, um, but such a real topic and so needed right now. Um, I, I think just continuing to normalize the conversation that it's not, you're not alone. You're not the only one um, is so important. So I appreciate what you're doing to, help bring awareness to this um, final thought, final encouragement to, to those that are listening. Yeah. You know what? Just know this. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And what I've experienced in finally, finally coming clean or in my case, this terrifying grace of being forced to come clean. I didn't just leave porn behind. I didn't just leave sexual brokenness and addiction behind. What I discovered that when that part of me encountered death, the death of my past, the death of my brokenness, the death of my lies, there was this resurrection that came in its place. And I can tell you, as hard as that journey was, as, as just terrifying as it was to, to be exposed, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world because the resurrection 
that I'm living in today, the joy and the sheer delight of, of Christ that I get to wake up to every morning is, is unimaginable. It's, it's unexplainable. And, and uh, it is worth every single bit of owning who we are, where we are, and what's going on in our life to experience that reality. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I just encourage every person listening, every person watching, live into this, move into this, let the death be passed and let resurrection come. Wayne, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for um, the transparency, the honesty, and the hard work that you've done and the hard work that you're continuing to do to help transform uh, men, women, churches around the world. And so uh, I want to encourage all of you guys, reach out. Um, the information reach out will be in the show notes. So reach out. Free conversation to be open and honest with Blaine is on the table. Encourage you to use it. And uh, let's, let's set, set yourself and set other people free. So Blaine, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Ryan. Enjoyed it, man.